Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and our guest for this episode is Sonoya Mizuno. She has an amazing TV and movie career already, including the upcoming Game of Thrones prequel series. I'm super excited to see that. She was such a treat to talk to virtually. We weren't in person. It was over Zoom. Spoiler. Uh, (laughs) Watching her on stage in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Just incredible. This is actually her stage debut or professional stage debut in terms of of theater. She's been performing on stage for uh, many years as a ballet dancer and she moved into TV and film and then now she's coming back to the stage. I will obviously let her tell that story. So before we get in, find me online on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. Leave a five-star rating just like I'm your Uber driver and now, everybody, please enjoy this episode with Sonoya Mizuno. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Today's guest is an actress, model, and ballet dancer who may be best known for her roles on the big screen in Ex Machina, Annihilation, Devs, and La La Land. Oh, and Beauty and the Beast, Crazy Rich Asians, and even the Netflix series Maniac. Her upcoming work includes the Game of Thrones prequel series House of the Dragon and another Alex Garland movie called Civil War. She can now be seen starring as Maggie in the off-Broadway production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, the first off-Broadway production ever allowed by the Tennessee Williams Estate. Sonoya Mizuno, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love your name, by the way, Sonoya. It's, it's Japanese, obviously. I took uh, uh, three years of Japanese in high school. Don't ask me to speak it because I don't remember any of it. But I well, can... mine isn't great either, so you're not alone. <laughs> well, where did you, you... So you were born in born in Japan, right? And then moved to London? Yeah, 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 I was born in Tokyo and moved to the English countryside when I was like two. 
but I moved back to Japan in my early 20s because my dad always stayed there and I I lived I was kind of going backwards and forwards between Japan and London in my early 20s for a couple of years so that's when I got to kind of like learn Japanese a bit and get to know that side of me a bit more was it was it weird going back uh being Japanese and not speaking the the language well interestingly I think they often think I don't speak Japanese in Japan because I'm mixed race but when but it you know for me personally I feel kind of like it it doesn't it doesn't feel great because I I wish I did I wish I spoke better I mean I speak okay but I you know probably it would sound like a three-year-old Japanese if if I knew what it sounded like it's it's funny um (laughs) when I grew up in North Carolina or where I learned and went to high school in North Carolina right where I took the Japanese so uh Mm -hmm. So all of my Japanese had a little bit of a Southern accent to it. Oh my God, so interesting. So it was like, uh, Konnichiwa, Ohio gozaimasu, right? Like it was... I love that. Yeah, it was a, it was a little, little twangy and it, it worked. But at least when I go to Japan, now I can order breakfast. So yeah, that's, well, that's, that's pretty impressive. Good for you. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. So I, I am fascinated by the fact that researching you for this, uh, found out you had a... Uh, uh, dance background because obviously know you from movies and and tv and now um and now the stage which stage debut we're going to get into that but uh your dance background is that's where you started in performing right before even getting into modeling or acting yeah absolutely um I, I mean, originally, I, I, when I was a child, I wanted to be an actress because I had an uncle who was a stage actor, and he, he's part, he passed away a long time ago now. But when I was young, he was a, alive, and and he was kind of like my, I, I just adored him, so I, I kind of wanted to follow in his footsteps. But he, he suggested that I should learn how to dance first, and then I, and then, I just kind of went to ballet class, and it snowballed, and. Next thing I knew, I was at the Royal Ballet School, and then I was becoming a professional dancer. So yeah, it was very much what I was doing for the first, you know, I started when I was nine, and I kind of stopped when I was 25. So uh, how how tall are you? Am I allowed to ask that? Yeah, sure. Five, seven. So five, five, seven. Okay, so you could be a rockette, right? Drunk a bit since I stopped dancing, to be honest. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have, which is really interesting. I think I was like five eight or something, and now I'm five seven. Because <laughs> I think you know, for the whole time when you're dancing, you're elongating your spine, and then if you're not, and you're like in front of the computer, you know. But yeah, I'm five seven. Why do you ask? So, well, be, because I guess starting at nine, and and I don't know much about the dance world, about like the ballet world, right? Because. My background is in musical theater performing and and uh, I've always just said I'm a singer or an actor who moves. I'm not a dancer by any stretch. Um, and I have a couple friends who have become rockettes and that's a whole different regime in and of itself. But when I think of ballet, um, I guess I was going to say I, 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 I think you can't... Can you be too tall for ballet because a lot of... A lot of men are, are typically shorter and you have to pair them up equivalently. And there's a lot of like stereotypical sort of assumptions that both I'm making now and I think the industry still relies on. Uh, I think it's a bit of both. I think the assumptions are less um, 
as kind of uh, are more assumptions than they are truth like you know i worked in ballet companies with women who were just under six foot i think and they were slightly more contemporary companies but i think especially these days you know you get all sorts of heights of and types of people but um but but you know it's not it's not like the most diverse industry yeah yeah Yeah. that's been a criticism for uh, a while i believe Mm -hmm. so well coming from the royal ballet school in london uh london is a place that embraces immigrants and non-caucasian presenting people a lot more than america especially is doing these days so did you find in that arena um especially in in britain in london in the uk and that like were you touring doing all of that stuff and was there a lot of diversity in that area and i guess did you ever and then second part of the question did you ever come to america and were you able to dance in america um i i I didn't dance in america actually I, i danced in i danced in the uk and in London and in Scotland and in Ireland and also I danced for a while in Germany and um, I think you know ballet is predominantly a kind of white art slash uh, sport art I'd say but but you know at the same time um, I, I never felt as conscious of my race and background as I do in the acting industry because um, casting is never about the way you looked in dance. It was about, you know, your skill or, you know, what you were good at or whether you were right for the part. It it had nothing to do with where you were from. So I, I never kind of, I never bumped up against it as much as I do now, I would say. That's interesting. And and yeah, you're you're totally right. And I guess the representation or lack thereof is probably per, per, probably perpetuated by the the children of the people who are already in it. So it's kind of this machine of the same mm-hmm. people creating the same people creating the same people, right? So that, uh, yeah. Yeah, so let's do better. We can we can do better people. Um we can all do better. We can all do better. <laughs> And so then how long, I mean, I'm, dancing has a, has a, again, stereotypically, I, I'm no, I know very little, dancing has a short shelf life in terms of like, if you're in your mid twenties and you haven't air quote made it, then like you're over the hill in dance terms. Like, so when. I think, I think you can have a, you know, it, it depends also, you know, it depends on like what country you're in and things like that. Like in Europe, they have very good. The, the structure for dancers in the theatres is very good. So a lot of them dance till they're a lot later, until their late 30s or early 40s. And the roles change to more kind of like character-based stuff instead of the very kind of difficult technical stuff. Um, and there's less turnover, say, than I think in America where um, it doesn't have the structure, the kind of like the support from the government and what have you to to keep these places going so it's like it's more competitive i think so i think that people get pushed out a lot quicker but i think you know most people dance in in classical companies i say late 30s early 40s which is young 
I just turned 36. So I would be, you know, thinking about stopping. When did you actually stop dancing? Uh, so, and, and like the, the modeling came in and then the acting, like what's that progression? Uh, yeah, I never really did modeling like as a proper job. I think I just, you know, um, when they needed, you know, uh, models that could move, you, you know, I would kind of go in and do stuff for that. So I never really like pursued it. Uh, it was just kind of a side, a bit of a side hustle because dancing doesn't pay that great either. So <laughs> I, I would do that. But, um, but I had been thinking about, you know, wanting to act for a long time. And I think there was it wasn't like a moment where I was like, this is what I have to do now. But, you know, I think that that part that in me that was when I was a child that wanted to do it never really went away. And I think that the older I got and the more I kind of experienced things in the dance world that didn't satisfy me, the more I wanted to look at other aspects of life and and it was something that i just kind of thought well maybe i should just give it a go and see what happens well you kind of came out of the gate pretty hard so ex machina was your first first feature film or was yeah yeah, yeah. so that i mean that came out of the gate and that was that was an amazing amazing film and mm -hmm. And I guess, uh, and you've worked with Alex Garland. It was an Alex Garland uh, production. Mm -hmm. um, this is you're now Civil War. That's coming out soon. Is are you filming it or already filmed it? I was gonna say it's his fourth fourth thing you've done with him. Yeah. I guess how did you get connected with Alex? Is that did that relationship start, and then he cast you, or did he keep casting you after the relationship with Ex Machina? Uh, yeah, it was after Ex Machina. I literally just went, I was in, in the Scottish Ballet at the time and I, I went to my dance modelling agency and I said, look, I want to get into acting. Can you give me some advice? Like, what shall I do? And they said, we don't, you know, it's not really our field, but sometimes we get auditions when they want particular kinds of people. And when I was in there, in the meeting, the the agent was like, oh, we just got this audition through for this film and they, would you like to go just try and see what happens? And it was for Ex Machina. And I went and Alex was there and I did the audition. He was like, I think, I remember very well, he was like, I think you're fantastic. I'm going to give you the job on the spot. And actually wow. at that time it was for one of the other robots in the and the wardrobes because the, the Kyoko part had already been cast and then the girl who was originally supposed to do Kyoko couldn't get a visa or something like that so he called me and said can you come back in and audition for this bigger part and I went back in and and at that time and I didn't actually sorry this is not really making much sense I was with the Scottish Ballet they didn't want me to do the movie so I quit my job with Scottish Ballet and I thought I'm just gonna go and do this movie I, I just had a gut feeling it was the wow. right thing to do so I left the company and I went to do the film and um it absolutely it changed my life but not in the way that like you hear stories about actors getting a job that changed their life because it's not like I got that job and then it, it was really easy for me to get jobs after that because 
Kyoko was a very particular kind of character and I, you know, obviously I wasn't speaking and so it wasn't like it opened huge, like lots of doors for me or anything like that, but it did, of course it did open some and it, but the most important thing was it established this relationship with Alex, which has been like the best thing that's, you know, happened to me in terms of my career because it's been so creatively um fulfilling and also just kind of like life affirming you know he's a really amazing person as well as director so i've learned so much from from working with him well i i remember when i was a kid just watching ben stiller movie after movie and noticing that it was always the same core group of people that were always in all the same Ben Stiller movies. And, mm -hmm. and it, you know, it clicked for me then. I was like, that's what you do. You, you get in a group of friends that one of you is successful and the rest and brings the rest of you along. And then somebody else gets successful and brings the rest of you along. And it goes that's along with funny. advice that we've gotten on this podcast so many times is be the person that you, that people want to work with the next time. Totally. So, so yeah. I, I speaks, speaks to that. I love that. Um, and then <laughs> watching Ex Machina, did you ever watch it with your parents? That seems like a little bit of an uncomfortable situation. No, I did watch it with my brothers and sisters though, actually. Well, I went, when it first came out in the UK, I remember we went to the cinema and watched it. So yeah. Did you warn them? You're like, okay, fam, listen, you're going to see a lot of me. I, I think I did. I mean, I also warned them about House of the Dragon, which is, you know, coming out soon. I was like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to watch it with you. I'm not sure you guys should watch it either. <laughs> yeah, the, I get. Yeah, House of the Dragon. I guess uh, I'm so excited about that, and I know that I was gonna like. You, I was gonna say I was gonna ask lots of questions about it, but I know you're probably under like horrible NDA. You can't give any spoilers. Can't talk about anything. Yes, it's very, it's very uh, locked down. Yeah, yeah, the Marvel, Marvel universe and um, Game of Thrones universe. I think those are the two that are the the mm -hmm. best kept secrets. Yeah, yeah. Is that? Yeah, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> well, okay, let's turn off the recording. Click. There we go. Just you, <laughs> just you and me. Lean, lean in. Okay, so tell me. Uh, no, nothing. Okay, we're gonna take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So coming to now New York City, this is, it's your New York City stage debut, but is it your stage debut completely? Like career-wise, this first professional acting gig? I've done, yeah. Yeah. Wow. 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 Okay. So... What then, um, with all the movies and the career and in the TV and whatnot that you've done, was it a conscious choice to not try stage or and oh. what, what brought you here? I really wanted to do a play. I've been wanting to do a play for a long time. I think I missed, I, I mean, I definitely missed being on stage from dancing. 
And also I, I just had a feeling that it, it was a challenge that I really needed and that would really help me grow as an actor. So it was, it was definitely conscious. And I, um, and you know, it's kind of hard if you didn't go to one of the big conservatories in London for acting to get into theater there. They're quite um, snobby about it. So, you know, I, I said to my agents, they were very conscious that I wanted to do it. And, my wonderful agent in New York, David Kolodner, he, this was one of the first things he sent me, or maybe the first. And I think, you know, because they are kind of a bit, uh, a bit of a renegade theater group, if you were saying, mm-hmm. they were willing to take a chance and, you know, got the job, which was surpri- very surprising to me. Cause you know, at the time when I auditioned for it, I wasn't really working and I was feeling a little bit, frustrated as you do as an actor and and I was thinking well you know it's a really it's a huge audition they sent loads of act one text and I was like I'm just gonna really try and work on this as a piece of work and you know try and have a go at the accent and all that stuff and I never really expected that it would go anywhere because I thought you know it's in New York and there's so many people who could play the part here so actually like sometimes I get weird kind of surreal moments I'm actually here doing Tennessee Williams. That's like so weird. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck, shit. Um, you're still based out of London, right? You're not mm-hmm. in New York full time? Right. No, no, no. Yeah. So so you're based out of London. I assume the audition was probably virtual because everything is these days. Yes, I had to do two self-tapes. Yeah. And, and so you've got this theater agent and you're right. Like out of all the amazing people in New York... You know, yeah. they, cast, they cast you and it's, it's, I love, I love the choice and, uh, didn't realize how thick your British accent was because like in the middle of, of the play, uh, I'm just like, yeah, this woman is from Mississippi, right? Like the Southern, the Southern accent is, is strong in that one. Yeah. And, and, uh, I'm, I was just, I was very impressed. The whole thing, the whole production was phenomenal. I, I had actually never seen a production before, but did you know, I guess, sort of the, um, were you aware of the, the importance of, of the play happening in the first place, meaning that the Tennessee Williams estate is always very controlling about who and what they allow to, to happen? Yeah, I kind of find it amazing that they like <laughs> letting them do it. It's like, how did you guys do this? How do you guys pull this off? But uh, yeah, it's just really cool. And I have so much, um, I have so much respect for Tennessee Williams and and his plays that I feel, I, I really feel very lucky to be doing it. And also I feel a bit like, oh my God, like, um, I, I don't know. It's like, I almost feel like I hope he's like, okay he's like turning in his grave that i'm doing it (laughs) like i'm english and he's probably like what is this english girl doing my play for you know but you know (laughs) well given how progressive he was and how especially at the time like talking about closeted homosexuality and 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 everything that you have to deal with in this play it's heavy material um death and whatnot um yeah. That came out in the 50s. Yeah, yeah. yeah 19... 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, it's just, it's incredible to me how, how well it was done. And you were, uh, I, I was at opening night, so I saw the talk back. Did, can you talk to the, do you know the story of how this sort of renegade production company brought
I'm really glad to be doing it. Oh, uh, yeah, it, it's an experience that you'll never forget. And, and <laughs> I've always been very, very much an advocate of um, that. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not learning. I, it's so true. And you also have to fail. You have to like get on the stage and you know, it has to feel not good for quite a few times. And, and it's, it's hard, it's hard to be that uncomfortable, but it really helps you grow. That's I, I, a lot of uh, layers. I want to peel back on that because there's several points where you can get used to something. And then there's another layer of uncomfortability because first you're, uh, going through the phases, you're auditioning, you, you realize you get the audition. Oh, I'm uncomfortable because I have to put the audition together. Oh, I got it. Now I'm uncomfortable. Okay, I'm sitting with this. Now I got the script. Holy shit. It's like five million pages long. Uh, 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 and now... <laughs> I got to memorize that. So now you've got it. Now you got to find the character. Then you got to find the accent. Then like, and then you get under lighting on stage with the costume, which in and of itself is almost non-existent. So there's, <laughs> there, there's the, there's the emotional yeah. vulnerability and the physical vulnerability, which I suspect is like, it does all that kind of just disappear at this point now that you've opened. Um, interesting. I, I think, uh, yes and no, I think my relationship with it all changes. And, you know, sometimes I kind of, like I said, when I was saying about sometimes I feel like I'm in a surreal situation. Sometimes I get those moments where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm like on stage in a tiny pair of pants and like speaking in a southern accent, it, you know, and I have to kind of like get back into the focus of, of the moment. But... I, yeah, I guess it's like each, each part is like a, a challenge and you're trying to like, not conquer it, but, you know, get, get through it and just, just add it to the, add this layer to, to the performance. Um, but I feel like in a way, I don't want to completely forget about all those things because I might, um, I, I don't want to like, get lazy about it you know like I read this every day before I go in I say the whole thing out loud in the accent and you know, not to act it but just to make sure that I still remember the rhythms and I have the um all the all the Tennessee Williams grammar is so specific and the ellipses and the commas and what have you and so I I read it and so because I don't want to forget it I want to keep it keep it alive so I, I try not to forget too much I think if I it's a funny dance though isn't it because you don't want to keep too hold on too tight that you can't just you know be alive to the moment sure yeah yeah I, I guess there's 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 a point where it's sort of like putting on the costume putting on the wardrobe uh makeup the lights you walk into this to the stage and the smell triggers muscle memory mm -hmm. and and there's a point where you just become the character and mm -hmm. so maggie is this neurotic sex crazed weird woman who's lying about this and that and whatever and and so obviously i think 
the farther the farther that is from normal reality and this has been my experience the easier it is to fall into this character once you find it because you have to completely detach from yourself and just let yourself go to what's on the page yeah yeah i agree and i really like having that experience i like to play people that are far away from me i i, I think it's there's something about it's much more freeing isn't it yeah mm. it gives you an excuse to to try on different faces mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah. Which, which I really love about acting in general. And I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. find your tribe, find your chosen family, that kind of, of of vernacular, for lack of a better word, I guess. But yeah, so you're if you're uncomfortable in who you are, I found a lot of people that they're attracted to the stage. They're attracted to performing because it gives them a focus. It gives them a, a forward-looking momentum to, um, to try on things that they might otherwise be uncomfortable doing. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. So true. Yeah. What's been your uh, most favorite thing now about the the stage schedule, the stage performance? I I love the um, I love the whole thing. I love the kind of like the rehearsal process. I wish our rehearsal process was longer, but, you know, it can't be helped with these kind of small things, I guess. But I loved going to the theatre every day and rehearsing, you know, day after day, because new thing, you discover so much new stuff and um, and, and just the, the environment of being in a theatre. So it feels actually very comforting for me because I think it was so part of my childhood and my teenagehood and early 20s that it feels something about being on stage and being backstage and that kind of thing just feels very right for me. So I've loved all of that. And, you know, even just like being in the dressing room with the women and it's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely thing. I think I, um, I think I really love it. It really, it really suits me. It makes me feel very uncomfortable, as we said, in many ways, but just the whole environment of it suits me, I think. Is there, is there another, uh, looking ahead, another type of role or role specific role that you've always looked at that you're like, I, I would love to try that, or that looks so unusual, I can never do it. But yet again, talking about being uncomfortable, is it something that you would want to jump into? I would really like to do Shakespeare because I think it's something that I've never, like I never could have imagined when I started acting that I'd ever, you know, could do a Shakespeare play, but now I think maybe I could, maybe I could. And I love Shakespeare. So I think um, I I would really like to do that, but that would be scary. (laughs) Talk about. No, I think I would have said that if I hadn't have done this play, you know, I, I needed to have done this to realize that actually I can keep pushing, which is a good thing. So there are three clo- three questions I ask everyone to wrap up every episode. The first one just simply is what motivates you? You know, my family motivates me. My family, my brothers and sisters. I, I'm, yeah, it's, I feel very connected to them. And 
yeah, it's very easy for me. Like when I have hard days, that's the thing that kind of pushes me through. I, I kind of do it for them, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Um, I would just say to myself to like to to let it happen a bit more, you know, to like uh, not not be so not hold on so tightly. Because I think um, I think things happen the me- the way they're meant to happen, and I think I was always trying to make things happen instead of letting things happen. Interesting. All right. There's more to unpack there, but you know, that's a whole separate <laughs> episode. Okay. Last question. <laughs> if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh my God. One show for the rest of my life. That's so hard. What would I see? I don't know if I can answer that. What would you see? <laughs> um, it changes. My answer changes. I don't know if I could answer this. I ask this to everybody and I don't know if I have an answer. Sometimes I say Rent because it was the show that got me to realize that I love musical theater. Mm-hmm. Sometimes during the pandemic, I was like, I need to laugh and I need it to be different, even though it's the same show. So I would say freestyle love Supreme because that's improv and changes mm-hmm. every, every time. Um, and then there's classics there. I mean, ragtime, Sweeney Todd. Uh, I think I'd see a classical ballet. Yeah. I think I would, you know, if I had to see it over and over, that's so hard. I I think I might, but hang on. It can be a different, it can be different productions of the show. Sure. Sure. We'll get. Oh yeah. I think I'd see a ballet because then you could see like modern version or an or like a classical version or something like that. So maybe I'd see like Romeo and Juliet. Oh my God, I see Romeo and Juliet, but then you can also see the acting or the dance version. How about that? <laughs> okay. The acting version, you can see the classical ballet version, you can see the modern contemporary dance version. That's pretty good. All right, I'll go with that. All right, so where yeah. can we find you on social media? Oh, you can't. No? No, you can't, yeah. Why, is that an active, active yeah. choice of just staying away from the haters i i used to have an instagram but i um i don't anymore well good good for you because yeah i feel like my my, uh brain my mental health (laughs) that that is such a good choice if i didn't need it i probably wouldn't have it either who knows but anyway uh, I am on social media, theater underscore podcast, Facebook slash official theater podcast. Leave a rating and a review. Jukebox the Ghost gave us our intro and outro music. And Sonoya, thank you so, so much. I've enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.